sing that not because everything is perfect at this hour on today, even as the Curto family is clearly in great pain and mourning, but because we are his. And as Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? To the audio booth, I'm sorry I didn't have my mic on earlier. It is on now. Okay. Thank you, David. Yeah. Sometimes I wish I was preaching in the Stone Age, (laughs) standing on a rock (laughs) with no consideration for technology. Yeah. Well, turn with me again in your copy of God's Word to Exodus 13. Well, your 8.30 appointment, which, by the way, is not just an appointment, a person is late, apparently late. Where are they? Surely they got your text with the time and location. And you think, they just don't care. And you want to say, you just don't care about me. You do not respect my time. And then you look at your phone and realize that you're bad. There are two choices. You'd either given them the wrong time or the wrong place. Or you had it in your mind as one time, but you'd communicated something entirely different. You'd texted 9 a.m., but in your mind, for some reason, you had 8.30 engraved there. You're bad, not theirs. Silently, you're taking back all those thoughts you had about your appointment. And you back away from that ledge and your self-righteous speech that flouted your importance and the thoughtlessness of the person that arrived precisely at the agreed-upon time. And so you don't have to give your speech about how important you are, how busy you are, which makes you important, of course, and how much you have to do, and just how stressed you are and that they've really provided quite the inconvenience by being late, which they never were in the first place. And it was never the case that they did not care about you or respect your time. You had this misunderstanding on your part that you morphed into, you let graduate into, he or she does not care about me. Well, Israel was there in those first days outside of Egypt. They thought, they actually thought this, you don't care about us. So it's directed at Moses, uh, were there no graves in Egypt that you brought, brought us out here? And it, and it really brings us to the point this morning, it's this idea that God, you don't care about us, you don't care about me, because if you did, this would have happened or this wouldn't have happened. And they thought that of Moses, and they thought then by association, they thought that of Yahweh himself. But the Lord had this plan to express his care, to effect a rescue that we can call miracle at the Red Sea. And it leads to our big idea, which has overtones of Psalm 136, where all 26 verses end with this identical refrain, For his steadfast love endures forever. So here's our big idea. 
Their rescue, that is Israel's from Egypt, his kesed. Kesed is just a Hebrew word. We'll define it in a moment. Their rescue through the sea, his kesed. Our rescue from sin, his kesed in Christ. So what do we, we can ask, what do we mean by this word kesed? Just three little consonants in Hebrew. Kesed is Yahweh's unfailing covenant love. It's paired with Yahweh or Adonai, his covenant name by which he was pleased to reveal himself by the burning bush to Moses in Exodus 3. Though, as we saw in our Sunday school class this morning, it was a name that Moses employed in describing God even in the book of Genesis before he had revealed his name. It's revealed to us in the record there of Genesis. But Kesed is Yahweh's unfailing covenant love. His steadfast and unending covenant loyalty to his people. It's like God is bank. God is money. And it's so rich in meaning that we may compare it to the experience of sitting on either rim of the Grand Canyon, north or south, sunrise or sunset, and understanding that there is an unlimited number of shades and colors and hues and textures to the opposite canyon, the other side of the canyon, you should look at that great wonder we call Grand Canyon National Park. That's what God's steadfast love is like. That's why it's celebrated 26 times in Psalm 136 as a refrain. I want us to see a simple outline this morning in these verses. Number one is that he leads his people out. He leads his people out. And we'll see that first in verses 17 through 22. And then we'll see in chapter 14, the first 20 verses, we'll see preparation for the Red Sea crossing, and then finally crossing the Red Sea in verses 21 to 31 of chapter 14. So number one, he leads his people out, and then preparation for the crossing in verses 1 through 20 of the next chapter, chapter 14, and then finally crossing the Red Sea in the last 11 verses of chapter 14. God's leading is not always the way that we would have done it. Some of you know this experience when you've been to a place a lot of times and you get into the car with someone and you're not driving and they begin to go to the place that you've been to many times and they begin to take a different route than you know to be the most effective route. Has anyone ever had that experience? Okay. Has anyone ever found that frustrating? Yeah. Has anyone ever had to zip their lips shut at that moment? Because you're not driving. And the lesson here is that Israel is not driving. God has the steering wheel. He's leading his people in a way that would have been counterintuitive than what they might have known. And I could imagine them, it's kind of like maybe some of you husband and wife have this where your calendars sync, and then you realize all of a sudden, 
our calendars didn't sync. And you're like, don't you have that in your calendar? No, wait, they stopped syncing. And it's though Israel was saying, God, didn't our calendars, did they stop syncing? And see, we think in terms of, of efficiency, like Israel. By the way, we think, wow, we ought to go this way. By the way of the land of the Philistines. Because that's convenient, that's efficient. We read the word there in verse 17, although that was near. He did not lead them. And this is amazing because humanly speaking for a moment, how is it that you think Israel was led by the Lord out of Egypt? You can on one level think, well, through Moses as they embark on this 40-year wilderness wandering. But what is it that God provides? He does a miracle. Actually, a miracle is, as we were looking at in Sunday school, kids, what's a miracle? Some of you have been learning this in Sunday school. Something that blank God can do. Something that only God can do. Something that defies the normal laws of nature. Now, if we all went out after the end of the service and there was a cloud right above, there were a series of clouds right above Grace Baptist Church. And you're thinking, well, how am I going to get home? And all of a sudden, this cloud begins to lead you to your house. Or this evening after the, the evening service, it's dark. Maybe it won't be by 6 o'clock. But there's a pillar of fire that's leading us by night. This is amazing. This is a miracle. And so when we think of miracle at the Red Sea, there's this miracle that precedes it. And that's this between the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. But as God is leading, he's intertwining our good with his glory. And we see this. We saw this phrase about God getting Glory. He says, I will get glory there in chapter 14 and verse 4. Make no mistake, and we cannot charge God with wrongdoing here or being selfish. His glory is manifestly a priority to him. And there's no apology for that. Whereas for us to say, if you said I'm all about my own glory, we'd be like, that's a character flaw in you. Okay, but that's not for God. He is able to then intertwine our good with his glory. But sometimes that looks like inefficiency. It looks like the way of the wilderness. It defies logic. It conflicts with our timetable. It seems inefficient. Some of you know that when I went to seminary in 2005, I was thinking five years. But it came to a point we realized, nah, that's too much. I can't be a husband and a father and run a company and go to seminary and do all that. And so five years became six. And I had to realize I had my timetable. The mind of man plans his way, but what? The Lord directs his steps. It may seem inefficient, but God, like that very good but not very safe Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia, is always on the move, and he's on the move for his own glory and the good of his people. You know, some of you are really good at staying, like putting stuff on Facebook. I do one something on Facebook maybe every three or four years. 
something like that, okay? There's a, there are reasons, and don't be offended if I haven't accepted your Facebook friend request, all right? I, you ever get to the point in life you feel like you have enough friends? <laughs> I'm kind of feeling it, okay? All right, so I can be your friend, but not accept your friend request, okay? Don't, don't take that as rejection, and I'll, I'll feel the same way if you don't accept mine. God is not going to fail to display his glory, though I only go on Facebook every three or four years. God is ever faithful to display his glory. And here at Exodus is the pattern of redemption where there's judgment on the enemies of God. There's in his, his right arm of punishing them through these 10 strokes or the 10 plagues. There is God with his right arm saving his people from the hand of the Egyptians. That's God. He's doing it. And he puts us together. He does this in a way that really defies description. It's like that that hymn about his path is in the sea. There's a mystery to how God providentially takes your life. He takes my life. And sometimes he accelerates things. Sometimes he delays things. Sometimes things are no, right? Sometimes it's yes. Sometimes it's yes, but not now. And sometimes it's no. And then trusting that God is doing all this, his, that what he has in mind is in fact what Pastor Scott is gonna preach on tonight. He's, he's determined to bring us into full conformity to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Some of you know the, the, the quote, I forget who said it, God will not protect us from what he will purify us through. And this is hard, but to embrace. Kids, let me apply this real quick. If you're, if you're under 18, look at me just for a moment. Sometimes your mom and dad they're not trying to be your best friend. There'll be time to be your friend when you're older, okay? What they want to do now, they're taking you to their craftsman shop and they're trying to chisel your heart to be a heart that beats in unison, that beats in line with the heartbeat of God, to love God above all things to worship God, to desire God, because that's what made you for. That's what God made you for. Like he made a squirrel to climb trees and fish to swim in seas. He made your heart for God. And so when you feel the pain of a spanking or you feel the pain of consequences and mom and dad say, you've misbehaved, you haven't obeyed me, and I am God's representative with you, in that moment, thank God that your parents want to take your heart and move you towards the grace of God that's in Jesus Christ to remind you that you need a new heart. But the good news is that he's the great heart surgeon. Your heart's not beyond his surgeon's scalpel. But there's another truth we see in this, and that is that God is more keenly aware of our tendencies than we are. I think about why David prays. He writes this unusual line in Psalm 19, Lord, acquit me of hidden faults. 
That moment when you realize that your sins are like an iceberg. There's part of an iceberg that's entirely visible to you. But there's part of that indwelling sin, our our knowledge of the sin that remains, that we're not yet perfectly purified from, that's alien to us. And sometimes we, we only have a sense we're like, we're like a blind person. We, we can kind of see like men like stick figures walking. But we really don't understand the depth of the lines of maybe our pride. Maybe our harshness. Maybe our anger. Cheryl, like this is helpful. And, and we, we always try to be careful in the way we're transparent from the pulpit But one thing that Cheryl's helped me with, we've talked about, is the idea of sometimes I think I'm being gentle, and she says, you're not being gentle. I think I'm showing restraint, and she says, well, like, mm, rich but not smooth, kind of like that, okay? (laughs) Yeah. You know what? I need you, and you need me, and we need each other. To show us the way of holiness. You see, God is more keenly aware of our tendencies than we are. He knows our frame that we're but dust. And so when you think about this, look just for a moment. Do you think that Moses heard the Lord think out loud to himself? He says, look at this verse right here where it says in verse 17. It said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So I want you to think about that. Do you think Moses was out just talking with the leaders of Israel and all of a sudden he heard this voice? Mm. In terms of change of strategy, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. What do you think was going on there? I mean, Israel was already equipped for battle. We read that at the end of verse 18. But they were equipped for battle before they were ready for battle. And I think there's some instruction here about the Lord's timing in our lives. And I want to apply this. And I'm going to shorten the sermon just because of looking at the time. It's eight minutes till the hour. And I want to focus here just for a moment as we think about God, this miracle at the Red Sea. And that is the idea. Some of you might think, I feel better equipped for things, but I don't yet have the opportunity for, for life, for ministry maybe, that's equal to the degree to which I'm equipped. And I think it's instructive here of what went down with Israel. Though Israel had been brought out, they'd been redeemed, they'd been rescued from Egypt, Though they were equipped for battle, the end of verse 18, God was aware of their tendency. He's aware of it, it says. And so that's where Moses lets us in. He he says, it's though God spoke, perhaps God spoke, spoke to him. Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. They weren't, there was like this sense of having one foot back in Egypt and one foot out the door on the way to the wilderness. But there's a third thing I want us to see as we consider 
God leading the children of Israel from this first section, and that is this, that God's leading is by his means. It's a pillar of cloud by day. It's a pillar of fire by night. And I want you to think just for a moment about the descriptions that we were talking about this in Sunday school. There are five special descriptions outside of the book of Deuteronomy about this Exodus event, and we find those in Psalm 78. And I'd like to land here just a little bit with you as we think about the psalmist reviewing Israel's history. It said, in the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt in the fields of Zoan. This is Psalm 78, verses 12 through 14. He divided the sea and let them pass through it. And he made the water stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. Okay. And then in Psalm 105, 37 through 39. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold, which is directly in fulfillment of what the Lord said in Genesis 15 when he cut a covenant with Abram. And it said there were, was none among his tribes who stumbled. The whole mass of Israel, 600,000 men, probably 2 million in total number, they left with silver and gold that they plundered from the Egyptians. And it's said in Psalm 105, 38, Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon it. And it said, he spread a cloud for a covering and a fire to give life, light by night. Not just to lead, but to give light. And then if you'll turn with me to Psalm 136, verses 10 through 15. 26 times this refrain, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. All right, this is all about praise. Praising God for his works on behalf of his people. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm that's mirrored in his command to Moses to stretch his arm out and to wave it over the waters. It says, for a steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever forever. Can you imagine the fear? Just for a moment, pause and think. On one level, that's rescue. But it said, the psalmist says, he made Israel pass through it. I don't know about you, but I would have been scared a bit to have seen the waters of the Red Sea piled up on this side and that. And you're saying, okay, Lord, I'll make a run for it. But please, please let me get to the other side before you let these things come in. Okay, Lord, get your timing right. When the last Israel is out and the first Egyptian comes in, please, then you can hit the switch. But not a moment sooner. And then finally in verse 15. But he overthrew Pharaoh. He overthrew Pharaoh and his host. 
in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. In Hebrew, this is ki le'olam kesto. 26 times. In Hebrew children, would, they, would have known, they would have known this, ki le'olam kesto. For his steadfast love endures forever, or to eternity is his steadfast love. That little word ki can mean for, because, or since. And however you see the miracle at the Red Sea this morning, however you think of this, the, the exodus, which is the pattern for redemption for the whole Bible, which is the defeat of God's enemies in Egypt as a metaphor for our sin, in Canaan to our new life and righteousness in Jesus Christ, that we enter by faith, When you look at that, don't just think about the miracle. Don't think just about the geography, but understand that all of this, the 10th plague, the 10 plagues, the bringing Israel out from among the Egyptians, God doing all this with a strong arm and a strong hand and an outstretched arm, God dividing the Red Sea piling the waters up on this side, this on the other, whether you think it's the Gulf of Suez or the Gulf of Aqaba, okay? I don't want to debate that with you this morning. It's a very interesting discussion about exactly where they crossed the Red Sea, but no doubt this was no marshy bog. This cannot, this miracle cannot be explained away. Like God really piled up very, very deep seas, both sides, And he brought his people through. He made them pass through it. I would have been running fast. I don't know about you. Like, Lord, I trust you, but let me help you out. I'm going to blitz right through this parted sea, okay? However you view this miracle at the Red Sea, with every detail of thought that you assign to it, give it this refrain. Give it this refrain for his steadfast love endures forever now. And I'm going to land right here. And I'm going to extend this exposition to next week. When you pay this forward, when you turn to the book of Hebrews 11, 29, there's an amazing statement that encompasses the whole of the nation and the people of Israel in chapter 11, verse 29. So many of the, often in Hebrews 11, the object of by faith is a single person. But in this verse, it says by faith, the people, that is the people of Israel, crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, who were not of faith, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. I want to close here because I don't want to wear you out. I know we even have a young adults lunch after this. But I want to zone in on this miracle at the Red Sea. And I want you to think for a moment to simply review the idea of God leading his people through these means. By the way, what has has God ordained that the church and his people be led? What is our source our only rule for faith and obedience. What is it? It's the scriptures. Yeah. Moms and dads, 
if you're taking, if you're catechizing your children, don't miss that that's the first part of the cat. That's huge. Make, orient their hearts around the authority of God's word in an anti-authority age, right? That's easier to teach. Getting that in their hearts at five and six years of age is much easier than 16 or 18. There are just some lessons that it's easier. There's sometimes the, the soil of their hearts is softer. It's easy to push that seed down into it now. So moms and dads, be vigilant with that. And so that's how God led us. Do you resist do you, risk, do you risk God's timing in his life, in your life? Are you tempted to express distrust in him? By the way, faith is not mutually exclusive with legitimate questions of God. There's lots of whys in the book of Psalms. Pastor James was speaking recently of Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? A faithful life is not a question-free life. The Psalms as Israel's first hymn book have their power in that they give us, they give us words, they give us language to walk alongside the authors of the Psalms, particularly David, to put it all out there. David doesn't leave his emotions in his back pocket with God. Between all 150 psalms, he puts them all on the table, and so may we. In the Exodus, we have a pattern for redemption. And if God will not save, if God will not lead, if God will not save, if God will not rescue, if God will not intervene, then we're doomed. But praise God, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only, and you might say in the spirit of the book of Exodus, his firstborn son into the world that we might be rescued, that you might be rescued from the horror from the bondage, from the darkness, from the affliction of your sin. And he's given us the answer in his son, the one who says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And Paul says, there's Jesus. What do we see from 1 Corinthians 5, 7? Who is Jesus? He's our Passover. He's our Passover. He's the one whose blood removes the wrath of God. He's the perfect substitute. He's the slain, firstborn, unblemished lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Don't leave this morning without embracing this. And when we preach very explicitly the gospel here, this is both to enrich our hearts and help us on our pilgrimage, but it's to help some of you who think, I'm not yet a Christian. Don't wait. The writer of the book of Hebrews says this, today, if you hear his voice, what? Today, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear his voice, harden not. 
your heart. Let's come to him. For behold, Christ, our Passover, the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world, he has come.